It's at 12 noon here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Welcome to your Tuesday edition of Midday Live. My name is Bongi Kwala and it's good to have you. We're together till one this afternoon. Coming up on the show today, we speak to Dr. Victor Rametisele. He will help us understand what is a pulmonary embolism. This after the postmortem conducted on the late SABC anchor, our colleague Vuyombuli showed that he died of this condition. We also go to the Eastern Cape where four institutions of higher learning are highlighting the issue of gender violence against women. These are other stories coming up shortly, but first, let's say good afternoon to Asanda Matsanyan with the news. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. For Winnie Auction and Obama voices concern about violence against Burmese Muslims. That's in the news this hour here on SAFM. The sheriff of the court has left Winima Digizela Mandela's house in Soweto without going ahead with the auction of her movable goods. The ANC veteran owes educational institution Abbott College 40,000 rand for tuition of a grandniece. There's been no answer to the knocks of the sheriff despite there being activity on the premises. Noma Bolani reports. The sheriff says they had the papers to get a locksmith to break the gate. He says, however, there's no need to enforce that because there are no bidders identified here today. More than 50 media personnel are still outside the house. The sheriff says they will schedule another day for the auction to take place. Lawyers from both sides have been unavailable for updates. Mama Bolani, SBC News, Soweto. Kosato's Northwest Provincial Secretary Soli Pedwe has called for criminal charges to be laid against Lanxus Mine Security Officers who shot and injured over 15 striking mine workers in Rustenburg. Mine workers have been on an unprotected strike for the past week, demanding performance bonuses. They are gathered at the Lanxus Mine premises, disputing management's refusal to respond to their demands. Workers say management is resorting to violence. They say they are determined to continue with their strike until their demands are met. Order has been restored at the Kanya Primary School in Mitchell's Plain after angry parents earlier chased teachers from classrooms. They want a new school for their children. The parents are now protesting outside the school and police are monitoring the situation. They say all operations at the school will be brought to a standstill until a plan is made for more conducive learning for their children. Their children have not been attending school for the past three weeks. Medical experts say a pulmonary embolism is often confused with cardiac problems. This follows reports that renowned TV and radio presenter Vuyambuli died of a pulmonary embolism. A post-mortem has shown that Mbuli had blood clots in his veins that caused a blockage in his lungs. Director of Critical Health at the Charlotte Matlake Hospital, Professor Guy Richards, says a pulmonary embolism is clots that appear in the upper legs, eventually moving up to the lungs. In Mr. Mbuli's case, the possibility is that his clotting, there may have been an underlying congenital or heritable clotting abnormality, but also he had just driven down from uh, Johannesburg. If you coupled the relative immobility of sitting in the car for a long period of time and then an abnormality of clotting so that he had an increased tendency to clot, that could potentially cause a problem. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Six minutes past 12. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Thank you very much, Asanda Matsanya, and we'll see you at the bottom of the hour. 
27, that's the number of initiates that have lost their lives since the beginning of the initiation season in Bumalanga alone. The Bumalanga House of Traditional Leaders says some of the schools where initiates died were illegal. Police say 26 are being probed as murder cases and one remains an inquest. We get an update on that particular story, but you go to the Eastern Cape where Rhodes University, University of Forte, Walter Sisul University and Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University's academic staff uh, members, uh, rather staff members, members of the community and students are out in their numbers to march against gender violence against women in the country in general and specifically in the Eastern Cape. So we'll be looking at uh, that particular story. At 7 minutes past 12, our top story this hour, the death of a renowned SABC TV and radio presenter of Vuyambuli has been attributed to a pulmonary embolism. A post-mortem conducted yesterday showed that Mbuli had blood clots in his veins that caused a blockage in his lungs. Family spokesperson Rowena Bird says uh, previous reports of a heart attack were untrue. With regards to the cause of death for uh, Mr. William Woody, the post-mortem which was conducted indicated that it was pulmonary embolism, which is, uh, I guess, another word for it, deep vein thrombosis or pulmonary thrombosis. His blood had clotted. He had two uh, relatively large clots. And as you would know, with pulmonary uh, thrombosis, the clots tend to move around in the body and um, they moved to his chest, and hence he uh, complained of chest pain, and hence initially we thought it was a heart attack, but it was not a heart attack, it was pulmonary embolism. Rowena Bird speaking on behalf of the Mbuli family. Let's get uh, some more and understand this now. we joined on the line by a physician and a host of a medical TV talk show on SABC2. You see him every Saturday morning. He is uh, on uh, Bonita's house call. Dr. Victor Ramatisalem Fegazi, how are you? All right, Dr. Ramitisela is not on the line. We'll try and get him back to really get to understand what is pulmonary embolism. What is it all about? Is this a condition or is it a disease? Uh, what, what causes it? What are the symptoms? So those are just uh, some of the questions that uh, we'll be putting uh, to talk. Dr. Victor Romitisel. But also police witness Major General Charles Annandale told Marikana Commission of Inquiry this morning that police had planned to disarm a group of 300 militant miners in Marikana last year during the unprotected strike by lawnmen miners. That's another story that we'll be going back to. But uh, let's go back uh, to that story as uh, I was introducing uh, a physician and the host of medical TV talk show on SABC2. Uh, he's on every Saturday morning, as I said. He's on on Bonita's house call, Dr. Victor Ramatisela. Good afternoon. All right, he is not on the line clearly, so we'll try and see if we can't get him back. At 10 minutes past 12, this is a Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. More than 300 schools in Limpopo are without proper sanitation. More than 56 million rand has been allocated for the provision of water in that province. The program covers at least 374 schools uh, in the province. So we'll be going back to that story as well. And uh, in the Eastern Cape, Rhodes University, University 
Vincent Forte, Walter Sisulu University and Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University. The academics there, staff members, members of the community and students are out in their numbers to march against gender violence against women in the country. The recent gang rape and uh, of course of a 17 year old there, Anand Poison and uh, other women who have suffered violence and abuse have brought to the public awareness the disconcertingly high incident of uh, violence and uh, rape and of course ge- gender based violence specifically against women. That's another story that uh, we'll be looking at right here on Midday Live on SAFM South Africa's news and information leader. It's 10 minutes past 12. <laughs> Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. All right, uh, let's go now to the Marikana Commission of Inquiry as we're still trying to get hold of uh, Dr. Victor Ramatisela. Let's see if uh, he is on the line indeed. Uh, Dr. Ramatisela, good afternoon. Uh, we seem to have a problem uh, connecting with uh, Dr. Victor Ramatisela. We hope that uh, this is not uh, the general problem that we'll be experiencing throughout the show. The line's not uh, performing today. But uh, let's go to the northwest where police witness Major General Charles Annandale told the Marikana Commission of Inquiry this morning that uh, police had planned to disarm a group of uh, 300 militant miners in uh, Marikana last year during the unprotected strike by Lonmin miners. Annandale says that they had also anticipated that uh, the group will hand in their weapons without attacking the police. He says they did not intend to tackle a group of 3,000 protesters, which appeared to be less provocative. It is uh, on that day, the 16th of August, that 34 miners were killed. Other 10 people were killed in the preceding week. Itumele Khajane reports. Anandil says police had anticipated that they will make more than 170 arrests when they implemented their plan to disarm thousands of striking Lonmin mine workers. Advocate Dumisa Nzebeza, representing families of some of the miners who were killed during the unprotected strike, put it to police witness Shal Anandil that their plan was highly risky. He says with enough time to plan, the plan could have been made to be less risky. Anandil says they have dealt with thousands of other protests where protesters were armed but managed to disperse and disarm them. Nzebeza still maintains that the plan, which appears to have been drafted by only one person, Lieutenant Colonel Scott, was highly risky. He also maintains that the plan was only suitable for special task force, not other units, such as public order police. He says since there were many police units, it could have been better if the operation was drafted by someone with public order police in background. Anandale, however, told the commission that an idea was to have an operation plan which would be suitable for all police units which were already in Marikana to assist during the unprotected strike. The commission is on its last month since its time was extended in January for four months. However, the presidency is expected to announce sometime this week on whether the commission time will be extended. It is then that the commission chairperson Ian Fallam will also announce his judgment on the application by advocate Dalimpofu for the commission to be moved to Pretoria. Itumelian Kajani, SABC News, Rustenberg. 13 minutes past 12. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's see if uh, uh, the lines will behave this time around. Uh, let's try and say good afternoon to Dr. Victor Romatisele. How are you, sir? 
I'm good yourself, eh? We really apologize. It's not us. It's the lines. Eh? And you understand, I'm you're a broadcaster yourself. <laughs> we see you every Saturday uh, uh, on uh, your house call there and uh, really unpacking a whole lot of issues. But the issue at hand right now, as we uh, uh, called you uh, to help us understand, is the issue of uh, pulmonary embolism. Really, what is it all about? Help us understand this. Incidentally, we, we actually discussed... Um, uh, pulmonary embolism and deep vein thrombosis exactly two Saturdays ago on Bonita Fasco. So you can say maybe just premonitions of us to discuss it. Mm. But just to, just to explain the condition quickly, it, it is when there is sudden blockage of an artery in the lungs by a blood clot that comes from elsewhere. So embolism means you've got something that moves from an original site in the body to another site. It's almost a migration of something. In this case, it is a migration of a blood clot from elsewhere in the body that lodges itself in one of the major arteries in the lungs. And when that happens, one is that the blood supply to a crucial area within the lung is compromised. And as a result of that, the pressure increases in the lung and that causes the heart to stop beating. Mm. And that's how the thing becomes. And it is the size of the clot that comes from elsewhere, that determines the outcome. So the bigger the, the plot, the, the more uh, disastrous the outcomes. And you say that is the one that the, um, the pulmonary embolism is all about. There are no symptoms, or are they? Look, the symptoms of, of, the, of the embolism itself is that you'll, you'll find somebody who, who is previously healthy most of the time, or it could be somebody who has just had surgery. They, they experience a sudden pain in the chest that is associated with the difficulty in breathing. And you might find them frothing around the mouth, some, some pinkish froth, but it is a sudden pain that is associated with uh, the difficulty in breathing. But the critical part is that there are many other things that can lead to that type of scenario. Obviously, a heart attack will also be pretty much the same, and some people with panic attacks can also present that way. The main thing is that you need to get them out of trouble immediately, get them to a hospital, get them to an ICU and begin to investigate and make the diagnosis in the property. Mm. So the main thing is what happens within the first 20 minutes. How, that's what I wanted to know. How much time do you have when one starts complaining of uh, the chest pain to where really this becomes lethal? The main thing, and this is what we teach everywhere at sports events, at, at home and everywhere, that you need to know how to practice pulmonary resuscitation, cardiopulmonary CPR for short. We need to teach everybody in the household and everybody around us how to do that. Because as soon as we realize that somebody has suddenly fallen down, you need to ensure that their heart is beating and you need to ensure that there's enough air that is coming into their lungs. And that can be done with simple cardiopulmonary resuscitation, which can be done anyway. And in Mr. Buddha's case, he was at the stadium, and I know that stadium. I've worked around the stadium during the World Cup. They have some of the best emergency medical services available. As to how long it takes to the scene is a matter of speculation, but if you're speaking in general terms, it is critical that what you're going to do just to keep that heart pumping and just to keep the air coming into the lungs until you can get to a medical facility where other things can be done, where a patient can be put in ICU, life support machine, make a diagnosis, and then treat whatever the problem you find after making the diagnosis and various tests. Has it got to do with anything else, like uh, being obese, like a lack of exercise, or it can attack just about anyone who is in any condition? As we know, Mr. Mbuli was very active. I mean, he was a, a comrades runner himself. Let me explain. The majority of pulmonary embolism cases are caused by a condition called deep vein thrombosis. 
Now, this is a transformation that happens in the, in the, in the lower legs. Because remember that blood must come back from the legs and other parts of the body back into the lungs where it is going to be oxygenated. Now, the legs are working against gravity because gravity is keeping the blood in the legs and you need to get it going. Therefore, activity around the legs is very important to ensure that blood can move back. Now, deep vein thrombosis is caused by three major risk factors. One is that if you have any injury to the veins in the, in the legs, the, the body heals first by, by, by forming clots. If you cut yourself, the first thing that will happen is that the body will form a clot that to limit the, the, blood, the blood loss. Therefore, injury to the veins, number one. Number two, if you have a tendency for your blood to clot easily. Now, there are people who have a genetic tendency for their blood to clot easily. There are people who smoke and therefore make their blood to clot easily. There are people who have certain deficiencies in their diet which causes this. But thirdly, stagnation. If you're in any situation where you are stagnant and there is no activity, like you're sitting on a plane for a long time or you're driving for a long distance, you can always increase your chances of clot formation in your veins in the legs. And when that happens and you have a big clot there, it can dislodge any time and come and stay into your, into your lungs and cause coronary embolism from which death can ensue. Now, there are many of these factors, and we don't know which of these, these factors would have been applicable to Mr. Mbodi. But clearly, from the history and the information that has been supplied, he must have had a big vein thrombosis that had embolized or that moved into the lungs. Now, we know that he drove from Johannesburg to, to which is at least, you know, three hours driving. Mm. And that in itself, Combined with other factors, we don't know his, his genetic makeup, we don't know whether he had, he had been um, inactive for, for any time before that, but that in itself can make people perform clots in sleep, which is one we always encourage people when they are driving a long distance or they are flying and they are sitting still or they've just been to theater and they have to, to be immobile for quite some time to keep the level of activity going. Now, we know that also obesity can, can, can be a predisposing factor. Smoking can be a predisposing factor. Like I said, other factors like your, your natural tendency to the blood formation can make you predisposed or vulnerable to this type of condition. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Victor or Mr. Saleh. He's a physician and, of course, a host of a medical TV talk show here on SABC2 every Saturday morning. So you can catch him. He will unpack this and many other uh, diseases and, uh, of course, uh, symptoms, uh, tell you about symptoms and tell you about uh, many other conditions. It's 20 past 12. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. A top story this hour, the sheriff of the court has left Winnie Matigezala Mandela's house in Soweto without going ahead with the auction of her movable goods. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at 1,379.50 an ounce, platinum at $1,466.50 an ounce, the rand is trading at 9.50 rand against the US dollar, at 14.50 rand to the pound and 12.30 rand to the euro. Seven million children in South Africa go to school every day without shoes. Join Flip Flop Friday movement in partnership with SAFM. Let's make a difference to a soul this winter by wearing a pair of flip flops on Friday the 31st of May 2013. Purchasing a pair of flip flops will afford an underprivileged child to own a pair of school shoes. To join the movement, go to www.flipflopfridaymovement.co.za. 
The Standard Bank Jazz Festival kicks off in Grahamstown on the 27th of June. SAFM is proud once again to be the official radio partner. Join us for 10 days of amazing jazz and blues, featuring Mikasa, Esavan Naidu, and dozens more local and international jazz superstars. Also featuring the 2013 Young Artist Award winner for jazz, Shane Cooper. SAFM will be there to bring you some amazing performances and keep you in the loop with all the backstage action. But there's nothing quite like being there, so book now at CompuTicket and head to Grahamstown for the Standard Bank Jazz Festival. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. SAFM's Forum at 8 and WWF brings you a series of uh, decisive debates from remote venues outside the studio. Are we paying enough for our water? Maybe you disagree or you agree. Whatever your stance, join Kolani Kuala between 8 and 9 a.m. on the 24th of May and debate, debate the statement. If you'd like to join the decisive debates at the venue, email rsvp at www.org.za. It's a rsvp at www.org.za. Dot Zere, encouraging debate on important environmental issues. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. We go to Guazul Natal now, where the Minister of Police, Natim Tetwa, and his Guazul Natal counterpart, MEC for Transport, Community Safety and Liaison, Willis Mkunu, are in the Guazul Natal Midlands to intervene in the ongoing political violence that has engulfed areas around the town of Escort for almost two years now. These are largely fueled by contests for the control of political turfs and various forms of power struggles within different political parties. Let's say good afternoon to our senior uh, political reporter, that's uh, Zanele Butelezi. Zanele, first, just uh, help us understand, has the minister arrived there and, of course, his provincial counterpart, uh, Willis Mkun? Well, the minister is, is due to submit shortly, start the meeting shortly with um, Tuno and the political stakeholders in that area uh, where our journalist, Chris uh, Lindenberg, is uh, stationed uh, covering that story for us. So we will be getting updates as to what is happening in terms of that meeting. But, but know, why? Also... Yeah, but why are they there? Well, the. It seems like uh, the political intolerance uh, issue is rearing its ugly head once more in that area of uh, Escort. As you know, that uh, that area was once engulfed by political uh, instability, political violence in the 1990s. Uh, we we had um, ANC ISP conflicts, especially in the Wembeys Township uh, in Escort. And so now, what we've seen recently is um attacks on political uh, leaders, on politicians in that area. And uh, we've had uh, mainly reports from the ANC saying that um, they've lost members and uh, have, mem- have had members wounded uh, recently in, that, in the area, especially in the township of Wenbezi. Um, and um, last August alone, there was a, 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 well, a, a councillor that was murdered at Jamelia Mbede. In March uh, this year, there was another branch leader who was murdered. And uh, in April, we had... Um, about four people being attacked at night in their homes at Wembez, we see, and the T-section. Four females were shot at, um, and they sustained multiple gunshot wounds, and they were seriously wounded, and and we believe that some of them are still in hospital following those attacks. 
So that's the situation that we've, we've heard, the reports that we've heard recently, um, well, since August last year in that area of escorts, which has raised fears amongst people that, you know, we might be having here a situation where we are going backwards uh, towards the situation of political intolerance. And the ANC has said as much that their members are under attack in that area and there should be, um, uh, well, maybe more protection for especially their leaders and the council and we know that uh, some action has been taken in that regard. But uh, who are the players now? We, we know that uh, it used to be ANC, IFP, but uh, there are new kids on the block, as it were, the likes of uh, NFP. Are they playing any part in this? Well, it's not clear really who's attacking who, because we're hearing different um, 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 different stories as to what is exactly is the cause of this violence. But what uh, what we know, the political players in that area, it is the ANC, IFP, and the NFP, and that that area is also co-governed uh, by the ANC and uh, the NFP. And we know that there are issues between uh, well the two parties in in the municipalities that they run uh, in, in a co-governing agreement that they have following the 2011 local government elections, which left about 19 municipalities hung here in Boston at all. And uh, we know that, you know, there's been power struggles between the two parties in, in municipalities um, where they, are, they argue over issues such as resources and positions, which has seen switching of, 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 of municipalities uh, recently where we see other parties, or especially NFP voting with the IFP to, re, to, to, to remove a at the ANC. So okay. there's also there's that issue, but there's also the issue of uh, uh, well suspicion of infighting within the ANC also. So there's, there's, there's different um, um, issues that could be involved, but as yet we're not sure what exactly is the cause okay. of uh, the attacks of politicians in that area. Zanele Buteles is our senior political reporter based in Durban. Thank you very much. Let's talk now to Gwanele Ngalane. He is uh, from uh, Community Safety and Liaison in Guazun Natal. Mr. Ngalane, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon and good afternoon to all SSM listeners. Help us understand what are the issues in Escort and the surrounding areas that really uh, precipitated a situation where the minister and uh, the MEC are down there to talk to the community members. Uh, yes, Bongi. Firstly, it is important uh, that uh, as the government of KwaZulu-Natal expressed our concern with the ongoing uh, killings of uh, political role players in this area. Uh, but this is not a new problem. Uh, this thing started when we were building up to the local government elections uh, in 2010 when the campaign started uh, 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 to, 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 to hit up. And really, we then saw signs which uh, were, were indicating that there is a political instability in this area. There were a lot of threats and intimidations, and at some instances, killings of uh, political uh, uh, leaders in this area. Therefore, we felt as the government of Guadalajara uh, that there is a need for a strong intervention, uh, both from the police side, uh, the law enforcement, but also uh, as government to play a political and a leading role in terms of making sure that uh, we bring all parties together and also to try and seek uh, uh, solutions and political stability in this area. Hence, uh, the Premier of the province announced the formation of the multi-political party Committee, which is led by the MSC for Community Safety and Liaison. But ever since then, uh, there has been uh, some of the areas uh, around escort has stabilized.
but there are still outstanding areas, especially the area of Mbabazane and the area of Wembe, the township in Escort. So those are in the main the two areas that we are currently dealing with. Uh, so there's been events and episodes of the recent past where there's been attacks, as your, uh, your reporter has mentioned, mm. uh, on, on, on virus uh, uh, political leaders in the area. Therefore, as government, we felt it uh, also important and urgent on our part that we convened this uh, stakeholders meeting so that we engage all role players and try to, to, to get the buy-in of all political parties to commit themselves in peaceful uh, and free political uh, training and activities in this area. Got you. Thank you very much. That's Kwanele there. He speaks on behalf of uh, the MEC for Transport, Community Safety and Liaison in Guazulu-Natal, Willis-Mkunu. At 12.30, let's say good afternoon to Asanda Matsaunyana with the news headline. Thank you very much, Asanda Matsaunyana. Let's say good afternoon to Nancy Richards. What's coming up on Otherwise between 1 and 2 today, Nancy? Hi there, Bonki. Thank you very much. Well, what we have on our show today, Women in Africa. I'm going to start off talking to the Honorable Juliana Katingwa. She's the fourth vice president from Rwanda who is attending the Pan-African Parliament recently. He's talking about the manifestation of gender equity and equality in her country. Moving to Lesotho, we'll speak to a woman who's just received a country commitment award in Washington. But staying in Lesotho, we'll also be uh, getting a bit more information on the story of the daughter who was denied the right to succeed to chieftainship. So that's what we got lined up. Do join us if you can. It's right after the news at 1. Thanks, Bongi. Thank you very much. Then, Nancy, we'll look forward to between 1 and 2 right here on SAFM. It's called Otherwise. It happens every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Some of your SMSs quickly. Ebongi, the latest phrase I liked from Vuyo was, Swatch is sparkling. May he rest in peace. Andy Leakey in Plumfontein, I guess. Uh, it's a swashbuckling, that one. You bring tears to my ears, uh, or rather my, my ears, yes, when you play the shots of our beloved presenter and icon. We are really going to miss him. That's Anton in uh, Oturon. Should be maybe tears in your eyes. Please ask the doctor what these uh, are the symptoms of a pulmonary embolism are. My cousin has been in a semi-coma for two years after suffering one which occurred after a minor knee scrape procedure. That's Lynn in uh, Amanzimdoti. Hope Lynn, you, uh, you, uh, you were answered there by Dr. Victor Romatisilem. Let's go to the Eastern Cape now. Rhodes University, University of Forte, Walter Sisulu University, and uh, the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University's academics, staff members, members of the community there, and the students are out in their numbers to march against gender violence against women in the country. The recent gang rape uh, of uh, the 17-year-old Anand Poison and other women who have suffered violence and abuse have brought to public awareness the disconcertingly high incidence of rape and gender-based violence, specifically against women in South Africa. For more on this now, we joined on the line by the Rhodes University Deputy Vice-Chancellor for Academic and Students Affairs, Dr. Sizwe Mabizela. Good afternoon to you, Doc. Hey, good, good afternoon, Bobby. Why did you come together as four universities, and why are you marching today? Uh, the issue of violence against women and girls is an important one. Uh, you will recall in the beginning of the year the horrific and violent rape of uh, Anand Boysen and her disembowelment. And if something like that does not jolt us as a society into action, then I'm afraid nothing will. Here in Grahamstown, we had a young woman, Tandiswa Kubuza, who was also brutally raped 
and murdered. She was comatose for a number of days, and then she passed on. The, the point, Bongi, is that we cannot continue in this way. So we want to make a public stand as higher education institutions in the Eastern Cape, and also just to make a public statement that violence must end and that we must work together as communities to rid our country of the scourge of violence against women and children. Mm. And, and I think if we are to realize the values that are enshrined in our constitution, we do need to commit ourselves to sparing our energy in building a more humane and more equitable society and ensuring that violence against women and children is completely eliminated in our in our country. All right. It has reached crisis proportions. Dr. Mabizela, you're saying one of the things that you're doing really is to raise a public awareness. Because in South Africa we march as a community a great deal, but nothing, or at least little, really happens after that. And as, a, as, a, as an institution of higher learning, you know that, but you also have a chance to infuse it into your academia. What is it that you're going to do except marching to highlight this and to make sure that something is done about it? Absolutely. You see, we are higher education institutions, so the most important thing for us as universities is the issue of education. So one of the critical things that we are doing and we are going to be doing more of is ensuring that we educate young people about issues of masculinity and that we start to entrench the values of human dignity, respect for each other, issues of social justice, and so on and so forth. Education is central in all of this. So the purpose of the march really is to take a public stand against violence, uh, but also to send that very clear statement that as a community and as part of uh, higher education, we are saying violence against women and children must stop. So you're absolutely right, education is central, but we also say that we cannot simply leave this responsibility to government and law enforcement agencies. Mm. The people who commit these horrendous crimes, they come from families. They are part of the communities in which we live. So what we are saying is that we must take full charge as members of communities and be sure that we uh, pull together and we isolate these people who are causing this harm to our country, but also that we report them to the law enforcement agencies. Okay. Because if we don't work with the law enforcement agencies, there is no hope that they will be arrested and be subjected to the full extent of the law. But, but uh, Dr. Mabuza, where do you think uh, the problems lie? I mean, is it uh, in the upbringing of, of, of our people, uh, social, social life generally? Are you doing any research about this to at least help us understand where the problems are? Bobby, to a certain extent, some of these things are, are better understood. And most of the people who commit these horrendous crimes of rape and violence against women, they themselves never had a good upbringing. So they never had good role models. And for as long as people don't have a stake uh, in this country where 
they feel that whatever they do is also harming them. We will continue to have this. So, indeed, we must continue to do research. We must get to a deeper understanding of why it is that a young person would rape another young person and not only stop at that, mm. slit her throat, disembowel her, leave her for dead. I mean, what kind of an animal would do that? Mm. So you're absolutely right. We do need to do a lot, do a lot of more research on this, get a better understanding so that we can start to build a much more caring, a much more humane uh, society. And I'm afraid... Uh, we are nowhere close to that. So okay. as higher education institutions, we will and we must prioritize the issues of gender-based violence so that we start to produce young people that uh, uh, are able to uh, move forward in terms of the values enshrined in our constitution. All right, we need to talk some more, uh, Dr. Sizwe Mabizela. Thank you very much. He is uh, the Rhodes University Deputy Vice Chancellor for Academic and Students, uh, Student Affairs there. It's a 20 to 1 right here on Midday Live. The Teddy Burr Clinic and the Repcan, represented by the Center for Child Law, will today give more details about their constitutional challenge against the offending provisions of uh, the Sexual Offenses Act. At the end of the month, the Constitutional Court will hear a landmark case against the criminalization of a consenting sexual activity between adolescents. Consensual sexual activities, including kissing between children uh, of ages 12 and 16, became a criminal offense when the Sexual Offenses Act came into force in 2007. On the line now, we're joined by, the, uh, by attorney Karina Dutoy of the Center for Child Law, representing the Teddy Bear Clinic and a resource aimed at preventing of child abuse. Redken. Good afternoon to you, uh, uh, Karima. Good afternoon. Explain to us, please, what are you challenging and why are you challenging the Sexual Offences Act? Um, I think it's important that people understand that prior to 2007, we never had any legislation that criminalised um, children for having consensual sex with one another. Um, and so from 2007, we have this peculiar thing where when two children have purely consensual sex with, with each other, they are liable to criminal prosecution. And the two organizations, CDB Clinic and Rapcan, are organizations that work both with victims of sexual offenses and offenders of sexual offenses. And they felt that these children don't really fall into any of those categories. They are not victims and they are not offenders because they had consensual sex. And so they felt that this crime was really doing a lot of damage to teenagers and their normal development into adults. Um, I think it's very important in light of what your previous speaker was talking about that mm. people understand that this case has nothing to do with sexual violence. This case is to do with when a boyfriend and a girlfriend consensually have sex with one another and they are not older than 16 yet. Um, the age of consent is 16 and nobody is asking for that to change. The age of consent remains 16 and it remains a crime for an adult to have sex with a person below the age of 16. But, uh, 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 Mr. Toy here, I mean, are, are you not risking really some saying you are challenging the technicalities of this, this whole act as opposed to the real issues that uh, children, young as 12, should not be engaging in any sexual activity? 
actually, what we're saying is that this act actually prevents people from really helping those children and giving those children education and access to proper services to prevent children from having sex at that, such a young age. When you make something a crime, it makes the children not talk to adults about their behavior. So instead of having 12, 13-year-olds who feel like they're being pressured into having sex or they're thinking about it, instead of having them contacting someone they know will help them and give them advice, they're now being prevented from doing that because if you go to, say, your school teacher and say, I'm thinking about having sex with my boyfriend, that school teacher must report it to the police instead of helping that child, do you see? Mm. So we are actually trying to give children more access to education and services, have, you know, the school's um, health program has been rolled out by the Minister for Health and the Minister for Education. And at the moment, it's slightly in a difficult situation because as long as the Act stands, if they give children any sort of assistance and they know that child is going to have sex, they have to report it to the police. Instead of taking the opportunity to take it to talk to the child and give them the appropriate guidance and and advice. So it shouldn't be criminalized. What do you think then should happen? What, what should um, the law say? Well, you know, as I said before, we've been dealing with this Act since 2007. So, I mean, people must have coped before then. The important thing is that this is really the domain of the family. It's up to parents how they're going to raise their child. Nobody is saying that it is okay for 12 to, you know, 13, 14 year olds to have sex. It's not. But it's parents who raise their children with a set of moral values. It is, um, you know, after the parents and the family, it comes to teachers, religious leaders, counselors who assist children. Um, as I said, we're not saying that it's okay for these children to have sex, but we don't think putting them in a criminal justice system is going to give them the appropriate guidance and help that they need. And that's contained in your arguments. That is, that is what we're arguing, yes. All right. We thank you very much, uh, Karina Dutoy, uh, representing the Center for Child Law, uh, representing the Teddy Bear Clinic uh, and the resource aimed at preventing of uh, child abuse. She is from the Center for Child Law, uh, Karina Dutoy. It's uh, almost a uh, quarter two. Let's uh, quickly run to our reporter, Shibu Mamukhere. Them. Uh, more than 300 schools in Limpopo are without proper sanitation. More than 56 million rand has been allocated uh, for the provision of water. The program covers at least 374 schools in the province of Limpopo. Uh, Shibu, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. And uh, this, this announcement by this, who made this, who made this announcement on, on, uh, on the sanitation and this amount of money that has been set aside, and uh, who determined which schools benefit from this? Um, the Department of Education in Limpopo actually released a media statement on Friday uh, explaining how and how it's going to implement this plan that is supposed to cover more than 300 schools in terms of providing sanitation facilities and a further 111 schools uh, that will benefit in terms of getting and uh, has, has the plan been outlined yet, and uh, what will be the process? Um, we are currently at one of the schools that is going to benefit. Uh, it's just outside Pumupane and Kalamahulo. And uh, from what I can see, there are already bricks and sands that have been delivered here. And uh, according to the department, they've actually started with the program, and some of the schools already have um, the new toilets, uh, built in their yard. And we're not sure how long the program is going to take, but uh, it looks like uh, these schools that have been identified are just a drop in the ocean. There are 
hundreds and hundreds of schools in Limpopo that still need to be identified, that are still experiencing the problem. And specifically in rural areas, where most of these schools are still using peat toilets. All right, uh, we thank you very much, Shibu Mamukhere, our reporter in Limpopo. It's 14 minutes to one. With that, we go to the dealing room and we say good afternoon to Sudhir Singh of uh, Sasfin Securities. How are the markets looking today? No, he's not on the line yet. All right, let's read some of uh, your SMSs. Well said, uh, Professor Mabizela says uh, Bonfa. Uh, in KwaZulu um, Natal Midlands there and uh, this one says I would like to thank God for bestowing upon South Africans such a rare human species who pursued his career with uh, extraordinary zeal and industry and uh, most importantly with his uh, perennial smile on his face thank you Bravi for being an uh, epitome of uh, professionalism that's at uh, Lindani Ndendeni in Ginsberg and this one comes from uh, Ebi in Gauteng. Hi guys, we must educate African countries about uh, the loopholes, pitfalls and resources, or rather resource stealing wording uh, to look out for in uh, trade agreements and treaties. That's uh, Ebi there. And uh, why is it that uh, blacks are always fighting for political turf? Keep your affiliation secret, says uh, or period. This one is unsigned. Let's uh, read this one that says uh, it's a pity that uh, in most uh, postmortems we totally disregard the opinion of our traditional doctors that's Joe in uh, Bramley there let's go back uh, to Sudhir Singh of uh, Sasfin Securities, how are the markets looking today, Sudhir? Well, Bangi Global Markets have opened mostly in the red this morning, with European stocks retreating from their highest level in almost five years on the back of earnings downgrades over on Wall Street, uh, stocks ended the day lower last night as concerns about a correction cut earlier gains short. And comments from uh, the president of Federal, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago suggested that the U.S. Fed's bond-buying program could end as soon as autumn. Just looking at the U.S. stock futures, uh, it is pointing to a further pullback later on this afternoon. Locally, the JSE has rebounded this morning with gains in the mining and financial sector after coming under some pressure yesterday. The top 40 blue chip uh, index has hit a new high this morning as the weaker rand lifts exporters like Anglo and Kumba. Just taking a look at our local indices, we've got the gold index, which is up 0,8%. Resource 10 index is up almost 2%. The industrial 25 index is up 0,2%. The financial index is up half a percent. And overall, the market is up around 266 points, or 0,6%, 41,345. And the stocks on the move today? On the outside, we have BHP Bulletin, which is up just over 2.5% to 283 rands and 80 cents. Abel is up 2.4% to 17 rands and 80 cents. Richmond is up 2% at uh, 88 rands and 20 cents. First Rand is up just over a percent to 31 rands and 20 cents. And on the downside, we have Truers, which is down just over 1.5% at 85 rands and 10 cents. Vodacom is down just over 1% at 113 rands and 20 cents. MTN is down almost 1% at 179 rands and 40 cents. And lastly, we have Woolworths, which is down 0,1% at 75 rands and 80 cents. And your latest market indicators? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at uh, $1,379.50 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,466.50 an ounce. Brent crude is at $104.30 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 9 rand 50 cents to the dollar, 14 rand 50 cents to the pound, and 12 rand 30 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much to Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities.
SAFM's Forum at 8 and WWFSA brings you a series of decisive debates from remote venues outside the studio. Are we paying enough for our water? Maybe you disagree or you agree. Whatever your stance, join Kolani Kuala between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. on the 24th of May and debate this statement. If you would like to join the decisive debates at the venue, email rsvp at wwf dot org dot zere uh, mail to rsvp at www rather wwf dot org dot zere and confirm your attendance encouraging debate on important environmental issues SAFM South Africa's news and information leader Further afield, Zimbabwe's movement for democratic change has unveiled plans for sweeping reforms should it come to power, including rebranding the country's feared security sector. Party leader Morgan Tsangrai presented his election platform to loyalists in the capital Harare, where he also promised to reform the indigenization program to make it friendlier to foreign investment and open to broad-based participation. Shingai Nyoga has more. Morgan Changirai taking aim at the pro-ZANU-PF security sector, which refuses to accept him as president should he win elections. His proposals include parliamentary regulation of the intelligence services, a security sector subordinate to civilian authority, and a smaller army. A professional army, a professional police force, a professional CIO, a professional people service respects that they are non-partisan. His election manifesto is highly ambitious. It seeks to raise $14.5 billion to rebuild the country and to create 1 million jobs within five years. Changirai will also take on the burden of Mugabe's brutal rule, promising a truth and reconciliation commission for past wrongs and pledging financial compensation to thousands of families brutalized during the Matabeleland massacres in the 1980s, to 700,000 people who lost property during a 2005 slum cleanup, and for land confiscated from white farmers during the land reform program. A tall order for a struggling economy, says analyst Takura Jangaja. I think it's uh, somewhat sophisticated, and I, I think it takes on... Uh, too much, too many issues uh, at the same time, and the ability to de- deliver will depend on a are they in power, and b to what extent is the uh, foreign direct investment willing and able to fund their programs. But as far as I see, it, it's highly ambitious, and not all of it is implementable within five years. Changirai is vying to succeed veteran leader Robert Mugabe in elections to be held later this year, but he's rejected a proposal for an early election date. He says polls can only be confirmed after the completion of the second round of voter registration and the inspection of the voters' roll. He also wants guarantees from the military. We want security of the vote, security of the voter, security of the mandate of the people. He says there must be a code of conduct governing the military during coming elections, how the soldiers, police and intelligence are expected to behave, and all of these things must be agreed to before the polls. Shingai Nyoka, SABC News, Harare, Zimbabwe. 
Coming back home, church leaders in Johannesburg are commemorating the 2008 xenophobic attacks today. The commemoration coincides with uh, the celebration of Africa Week in the run-up to Africa Day on the uh, 25th of May. This will be the 50th anniversary of uh, the existence of the African Union. There's been talk of uh, Africa taking its own destiny in, the, uh, in its hands, especially in matters of uh, peace. For more now, we're joined on the line by the Provincial Secretary of uh, the South African Council of Churches, Reverend Gift Morane. Good afternoon to you, Reverend. Hi, good afternoon, my brother and listeners. Why are we commemorating this day today? It's to remind ourselves about what happened and to plan ahead about what to do in order to preempt this ugly incident that happened five years back. To remind our communities which were involved directly at that time as we are today in Deep Slot, which is the community that comes from Alexander, where we know this problem started. So we are just having a dialogue to say, how do we uh, seek to live together with uh, foreign nationals, and what are the issues that can actually disturb that peace among ourselves, and how to overcome those issues and if there are serious issues, how, where, and to, where to report such incidents that reportedly could be perpetrated mm. by some foreign nationals, so that we don't have an over, uh, just say all foreign nationals are bad, but we could have systems and measures of uh, reporting those who are misbehaving. Because even among ourselves as South Africans, we know within our ranks. We still have criminals who still actually do wrong things being South Africans. What more about people from foreign countries? Sure. They, they might actually uh, be some among themselves who, who got devious way of uh, making uh, a living and, and then ending up at the wrong side of the law. So, so instead of saying foreigners are bad, we should actually say those bad ones should be handed over and the police must do their job to arrest them okay. and justice should apply. So, but but have, you, have you identified those issues, as you say, that uh, have uh, the potential to disturb peace between uh, South Africans and uh, our foreign brothers and sisters who are here in this country? Rather than, uh, say, looking at the symptom, addressing the symptom, but even look at the root cause of the problem? Uh, there is no justification of crime whatever reason that people can come up with. Crime is crime. Whoever, even, doesn't even, actually, we, need, we don't even have to say who commits crime. If it's a, it's a South African, it's crime, and, and the person should be arrested. If it's a foreigner, that person should be arrested and be charged. Therefore, we say, there are issues, actually, that have been identified. Among the, the, the issues that are ranking high is the issue of scarce resources that reportedly foreigners and, so, and local communities are fighting around. So we said, which are those uh, uh, resources? One of them, actually, we have seen is competition. Some foreign nationals who are running small business in our communities. I've consulted with uh, one embassy uh, that I raised these issues with them, the embassy of Pakistan. And then I was told by officials in the embassy that they are really calling on uh, uh, people from Pakistan who are running shops in our communities to accommodate South Africans, actually. Instead of uh, recruiting other people from Pakistan to work in their shops, 
they should employ South Africans. That can build mutual relationship. But they antagonize the communities actually by taking over everything, and South Africans therefore see this as a unhealthy and unequal competition because South Africans always suspect that some of these operators of small businesses, they might be having money than them, uh, they, and they don't understand where, do they, where are these people getting money, where are they stocking their, uh, for their business. So because there is no transparency and dialogue, they, are, they don't form part of the local business initiatives where they can actually come in here, how South Africans are struggling to, to run their business. If there are best practices, why can't they share those best practices with you? So the, the tension among those who are running businesses, small business in communities, it's a, it's a real one. We have seen this in Cape Town when we're having a community dialogue. We have two dialogues there, one for the community and one for small business operators, okay. and we pick this matter up, yes. All right. We well, thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, Reverend Gift Muerane there. Uh, he is the Provincial Secretary of uh, the South African Council of Churches on the commemoration of the 2008 xenophobic attacks happening today. That's how we come to the end of our Tuesday edition of uh, Midday Live. The death of a renowned SABC TV and uh, radio presenter Vuyombuli has been attributed to a pulmonary embolism. And uh, we had a chat with uh, Dr. Victor Ramatiseli about this. Remember that blood must come back from the legs and other parts of the body back into the lungs where it is going to be oxygenated. Now the legs are working against gravity because gravity is keeping the blood in the neck. And uh, that's how we say goodbye to you and uh, thanks to the team really. Uh, all right. <laughs> Thank you very much, team, for putting it all together. Let's do it again for your midday, midweek edition of uh, Midday Live. I've got to read this uh, uh, SMS coming through from Nelson in Mahiking, saying that I remember Vuyombuli incessantly pursuing, almost single-handedly, the case of uh, Francis Rasuche on uh, his morning show that time. We thank you very much, Nelson. And... Uh, up next is uh, Nancy Richards with Otherwise happening between 1 and 2 right here on SFM 104 to 107. Bye-bye.